This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, and welcome to the Health Check podcast from The Straits Times. I'm Joyce Teo. In this episode, we're going to look at sleep, which is so critical for good physical and mental health. The pandemic may have changed your sleep habits, though sleeping more does not mean that you are sleeping well. So if you're one of those about to return to the office and finding it hard to get a good night's sleep, it's time to do something about it. Joining me today to talk about sleep problems, treatments and when to seek help is Dr. Liao Leong Chai, the Director of the Sleep Disorders Unit and a Senior Consultant at the Department of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine at the Singapore General Hospital. Hello, Dr. Leo. Hi, good morning. Good morning. So you see sleep deprived people at work all the time, right? So I bet you've come across all kinds of uh, myths about sleep. Tell us about some of the common ones that you hear. Uh, thanks, Joyce, and thanks for having me on the show. Uh, so some of the uh, things that patients tell me is that um, they often say that they are not sleepy, and that's despite us you know, seeing them falling asleep in the waiting room uh, and seeing that they're actually getting very little sleep. So quite often, people report less than six hours, sometimes even less than five hours of sleep per day. But when you go through the sleep questionnaire and when you ask the patients, they are adamant that uh, they are having enough sleep and they are functioning well. Uh, but actually, a lot of research has shown that people's perception of sleepiness is very poor. Uh, some of this work has been done by uh, my good friend, uh, Professor Michael Chi uh, at the National University of Singapore and Joshua Gouli at Duke NUS Medical School. So they actually show that, you know, if you ask people whether they're sleepy or not, they can say that they're not. But when you actually assess their uh, degree of functioning, you know, with uh, certain tests of attention and um, concentration, they actually perform very poorly when they are sleep deprived. Right. So if that's the thing, then when do people know, you know, whether they have enough sleep or not? Yes. So I think uh, what we try to do is to ask people uh, what they do uh, on the weekends. For example, if they tend to sleep in on weekends, uh, that is a sign that they are not having enough sleep. If they're having to resort to uh, certain coping strategies, uh, such as you know drinking lots of coffee or tea in an attempt to try and stay awake, <laughs> that I think is a big clue that they are actually not getting enough sleep. A lot of people underestimate the importance of snoring, and I think that's because people feel that snoring is common and you know everybody snores, so it, it's not actually a health problem, which is true to a certain extent. But I think uh, you have to make the distinction between uh, just mild occasional snoring to very severe, uh, persistent, uh, very loud snoring, especially if it's associated with uh, frequent gasping or choking sounds, because those uh, can actually be a sign of a more serious medical condition uh, that uh, we call obstructive sleep apnea. So no matter how much you sleep, you still feel tired when you wake up, you still struggle to stay awake during the day. Uh, especially if um, you also suffer from high blood pressure or heart disease or other medical problems, then uh, I think it is a possible sign that your snoring needs to be taken more seriously. Yeah, but quite often you have these patients that we see they are not uh, they didn't come in of their own volition. You know, they are, they've been dragged in by their wives or their bed partners. <laughs> right. So in this pandemic, have you been seeing more of them in your clinic? To a certain extent, yes. Uh, I think with the pandemic, a lot of people uh, are 
you know, they work from home more and they have more time to pay attention to their health. So we do see uh, people coming in uh, with many chronic illnesses, including uh, sleep-related conditions. Uh, another feature of the pandemic is, um, you know, we have people coming with uh, insomnia or with uh, complaints of having frequent dreams or weird dreams. And that is well reported in the in the news and the literature. This COVID, um, they've been calling it like COVID dreams or you know COVID related sleep problems. Oh, tell us more about that. I don't think these are actually directly caused by COVID, but I think it just reflects the changing um, the living circumstances that uh, has happened due to COVID. So working from home, uh, having uh, changes in the the sleep routine with COVID. Uh, the different uh, stresses with COVID. Uh, some people postulate that when you, we had a circuit breaker and the lockdown, uh, people are having to stay at home and they can't uh, interact with their colleagues or their friends or their, or their relatives on a more regular basis. And as a result of that, um, you know, all these uh, usual kind of release valves that we have, like, you know, chatting with your colleague at the pantry or at uh, the water cooler, we don't have that anymore. So... Uh, as a result of that, you know, people are having more dreams. But also we know that uh, if you have problems with anxiety or depression, um, that can lead to more dreams as well. I see. So they actually come to seek help yes. for that. Hmm. Um, actually, yeah, just on this, right, I wanted to ask you about something else. So there is this, you know, I hear about this, people experiencing this very awful feeling of being crushed or weighed down by something that wakes them up in the middle of the night, right? And then you feel like hmm. you, you, you're stuck and you can't get out of it. And it's like really scary. Yeah. So, you know, tell us what exactly happened. Is that like a sleep problem or? Yes, yes, that is um, a symptom of, uh, we call that sleep paralysis. So it's a symptom of certain sleep conditions, but it can also be normal. So normal people have it very infrequently. You know, quite often uh, Chinese people say that uh, that's, uh, you know, like a ghost phenomenon. It's like having a ghost pressing on your body. Uh, but actually that's just sleep paralysis. So it's basically wakefulness intruding into our dreaming state. So when we sleep, our sleep cycles through different stages from light sleep to deep sleep and then to REM sleep, R-E-M. That means rapid eye movement sleep. So when we are in rapid eye movement sleep, we are actually dreaming. Uh, and during this stage of sleep, our brain automatically uh, disconnects, um, you know, the, the brain activity with our uh, motor activity. That means function of our limbs. And that's to prevent us from doing whatever we are dreaming about, uh, which is a good thing, isn't it? Uh, otherwise, we will be, um, you know, uh, maybe possibly injuring ourselves or our bed partners. But sometimes this um, normal mechanism doesn't work properly and uh, we can wake up in the middle of our dreaming state. Uh, that means we wake up when our limbs are all paralyzed and then, you know, it can be uh, very distressing to find that suddenly you are conscious but you cannot move your limbs. So this is what happens. Uh, in sleep paralysis. It can happen to normal people sometimes, but uh, if it happens very frequently, uh, especially if it's associated with other symptoms, uh, such as feeling very sleepy all the time, 
then we start to worry about certain sleep conditions. One of them is called narcolepsy. Is there anything people can do, you know, at this state mm. um, to, you know, like quickly get out of it? If you happens to you you should try not to worry about it because it will it will ease away within a few minutes so just try not to panic just be aware that this is normal phenomenon that you've woken up in the middle of a dream uh, it's normal not to be able to move for a few seconds you know just relax and uh, things will go back to normal if you have um, sleep paralysis, like um, frequent episodes of it, but without other symptoms, then you're actually okay. uh, Yeah, I think so. I've seen a few patients who, who come to me with um, exactly what you mentioned. So we, we just go through um, the list of symptoms to make sure that they are not having any other problems. Uh, sometimes this is congenital, but you know, usually in those cases, uh, we don't need to do anything, just reassure the patient. And it is important to... Uh, help them to optimize their sleep hygiene. That means making sure that they get enough sleep, you know, they have a regular bedtime and wake time schedule and avoid things which may disrupt their sleep, such as drinking excessive amounts of alcohol uh, or being very sleep deprived, which are things which can trigger the sleep paralysis. That's why, you know, you, you hear about this symptom happening a lot more frequently in travelers. So it often happens to people who go on vacation and they sleep in a a new hotel and then they come back and tell you that the hotel is haunted uh, that's because people are more likely to experience this sleep paralysis i think when they are sleeping in a foreign environment find us on apple spotify google podcasts or via the google voice assistant and amazon alexa enabled devices and now back to our podcast episode so back to the dreams that you mentioned right tell us about some of the new treatments in the sleep field so one of the things is this uh, new treatment for obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, so obstructive sleep apnea is a condition where patients have very bad snoring to the extent that they cannot breathe properly at night. They choke and they gasp for air and it's bad enough that their oxygen level actually drops precipitously. And uh, this is uh, happening many tens or even hundreds of times uh, every night. Uh, and can lead to a lot of health problems in the future, not to mention, you know, making them feel very sleepy and tired during the day. But traditionally, the treatment for sleep apnea has always been CPAP, which is a mask that they have to wear every night. It's connected to an air pump, which uh, then helps open up their airway. But the problem with CPAP is it is a bit of a hassle to many patients. Uh, many people find it uncomfortable to be wearing something every night, you know, for the rest of their lives. So one alternative which has been developed is pacemaker device. It's a little pacemaker, just like a pacemaker that we use for uh, arrhythmias, for heart rhythm disturbances. So it's a little device that's implanted in the chest, just under the skin, and it has uh, little wires that go up to the airway, and the device is able to detect when you are breathing and uh, open and stimulate the muscles that open up the airway when you are sleeping and breathing. So it unblocks the airway uh, in this manner. Uh, it's very effective in helping people who sleep at near breathe normally and have better sleep during the night. Yeah, so this, um, hopefully, uh, we will be able to do in the next few months. It is already approved for the treatment of sleep apnea and it's already being used in America and Europe. Uh, but in Singapore, it will be one of the first in the region to pioneer this treatment. How long is the operation, like to put it in, the procedure? 
The operation itself um, is not a major procedure. It's similar to putting in a pacemaker for heart conditions. So I expect the surgery to you know, be a short surgery and maybe stay in hospital for a few days. So sleep apnea, would that be the most common, one of the most common complaints at the clinic? Yes, that's right. It's by far the most common complaint that we see in the sleep centre. That's because it's so common. You know, like I was saying earlier, it's uh, 20%. 20 to 30% of uh, adult Singaporeans have moderate to severe sleep apnea. So if you extrapolate that to Singapore's population, you are take, we are talking about close to a million Singaporeans you know, with significant sleep apnea. Wow. So many people with sleep problems, not <laughs> sleeping enough. Not sleeping enough or not having good quality sleep for a variety of reasons. Right. So what are the other treatments then if, the, you, know, if you don't want to use a CPAP machine? Some people have a dental appliance. So it's like a mouth guard that you wear when you're sleeping. Uh, and the mouth guard uh, helps to pull your lower jaw forward. So if you, if you want to, you can try to do this experiment. You know, just uh, extend your lower jaw forward and then try to snore. You know, it's very difficult to snore if your lower jaw is forward because it opens up the space at the back of your throat. But unfortunately, uh, most cases of sleep apnea uh, cannot be fixed with surgery because the obstruction in the airway uh, is not just at one level. The obstruction from sleep apnea has got to do with the way uh, the face and the bones and the tongue and the soft tissue of the throat is arranged, so it's not just one area that can be fixed with surgery. So surgery actually only works for a small minority of uh, sleep apnea patients. Yeah, so we try to find these patients and send them for surgery, but uh, unfortunately, most patients cannot be uh, cured with surgery for sleep apnea. But how about those with, like, say, mild sleep apnea? Uh, yes, that's a great question. Um, so sleep apnea comes in different severity, uh, depending on how many times they stop breathing at night. So if the sleep apnea is mild and it's not affecting the patient so much, then we try not to be overly aggressive with treatment. Uh, so some of the uh, less drastic treatment options that we have include um, physiotherapy for the airway. So this is called oral myofunctional therapy. In patients with sleep apnea, their airway muscles are relatively weak. So they tend to collapse when they fall asleep. So we have uh, specially trained sleep technicians who can show the patient what kind of exercise to do and uh, the patients can do them at home regularly, you know, three times a day, maybe 20 repetitions each time. Uh, and it's been shown to be quite effective for patients with uh, milder sleep apnea. Yeah, but they have to put in the effort. Uh, that is the main problem with this therapy, that uh, compliance with the treatment. Mm, okay, how long do they have to do it? Three times a day for like how many days? I think they would have to do it for at least three to six months before they can expect any effect from this treatment. Yeah, And the other uh, types of treatment also is um, for milder types of sleep apnea, uh, especially if the sleep apnea only occurs in certain sleep positions, such as, you know, the most commonly they, they snore, they have sleep apnea when they're sleeping on their back. Uh, then there are various ways to try and get people to avoid sleeping on their back. The exercise that you mentioned, right, are those available online? Like if somebody wants to try it? Yeah, I think they are. If you, if your listeners uh, want to Google oral myofunctional therapy for snoring or for sleep apnea, there are a whole 
a series of videos that you will be able to find on YouTube. But in fact, in SGH, we made our own educational videos and they are also hosted on YouTube. Or if not, you sh- you can do a Google search and go to the SingHealth website and you can find them. Other common types of complaints would be um, insomnia. Insomnia just means difficulty either falling asleep or staying asleep or waking up too early. And it's happening persistently over a period of months and doesn't go away. I think uh, if it persists for more than three months, um, then you should definitely seek medical attention. Right. So what are the treatments then? I mean, I've seen, you know, in even in the Straits Times, there are stories about people who have insomnia and they try all kinds of ways to try to sleep more. Yes. And they don't always succeed. Yes. So I think um, for the management of insomnia, the first thing would be to try and identify any uh, precipitating cause or treatable cause for the insomnia. So some uh, medical conditions can cause insomnia. For example, sleep apnea can cause insomnia. Uh, so we see this quite often, especially in women. Women are light sleepers. You know, women women are, are very different creatures from men. Uh, men tend to <laughs> men tend to fall asleep very easily, and you know they can sleep through uh, you know a, an explosion or a fire quite easily. But women tend to wake up uh, very easily, and I think this is why women with sleep apnea tend to present with insomnia mm-hmm. because when they try to fall asleep, uh, their snoring and their sleep apnea actually wakes them up. And then they kind of rouse very easily, but they don't know that it's actually sleep apnea that's causing them to wake up so frequently. And this can happen again and again throughout the night. Yeah. What about those with, without sleep apnea, just insomnia then? Yeah. So uh, we call these patients primary insomnia. That means that insomnia is happening on its own without a precipitating cause. So that's a bit more challenging to treat. For that type of insomnia, the most effective treatment that we have actually is something called cognitive behavioral therapy. So we have a few clinical psychologists that specializes in insomnia in SGH, and they will see the patient and then assess their insomnia, assess their sleep routine to see how they can optimize their sleep routine, how they can teach patients to manage their insomnia treatment. So unfortunately, you know, a lot of insomnia patients just want a pill to fall asleep. Uh, They don't want to go through the hassle of seeing a therapist and having repeated therapy sessions. But I always tell them that uh, the sleeping pill, although it is effective in the short term, it will cause a lot of problems in the long run. It will cause more problems than the insomnia in the long run. They will become addicted to the sleeping pills and in the future, if they don't take a sleeping pill, they will find it much more harder to fall asleep. Uh, a lot of times patients with insomnia have underlying anxiety issues or they, they are worrying a lot about uh, things in their uh, daytime life. Uh, so we, the therapist will help them to figure out ways, you know, not to carry their, their daytime problems into the bed because you know, that doesn't help anyone. Bed is for sleeping. So Dr. Leo, we've spoken about sleep apnea and insomnia, right? What are the other sleep problems that people may have that they should be aware of? you know, and come and seek help. Yes. The other condition that we see is restless leg syndrome. So restless leg syndrome uh, is a condition where people have this uh, very difficult to describe sensation of discomfort in their legs in the evenings. Uh, Some people may experience it as cramps, leg cramps. Some people describe it as uh, pins and needles in their legs feel an urge to move or to shake their leg. 
it can be you know people can do it subconsciously so they do this leg twitching especially at night before they sleep and after they do it or they pace around they feel better then they can try to go to sleep but once they go to sleep uh, these leg movements can persist so it sometimes can affect their bed partners because uh, if it's very pronounced uh, this kicking actually is enough to disturb the bed partner's sleep and can happen many many times during the night as well yeah, so this is called restless legs syndrome. It can happen on its own or it can happen due to an underlying precipitating cause uh, such as iron deficiency, kidney problems, nerve problems, for example. So is this something that people can try and fix by themselves before seeking help? Any way of doing that? Uh, I think if it's severe, it is probably good to see a doctor because you don't want to miss any potential uh, medical conditions which can be treated because uh, this restless legs if it uh, is something new it can indicate uh, for example you know a lack of iron and you do want to find out why you suddenly have a lack of iron in your body you know whether you're losing blood somewhere uh, or if you're developing kidney problems yeah so i think it's important to do some basic checks but all these are done and there's nothing serious then there are certainly things uh, which one can do to try and reduce uh, these leg movements at night so we always uh, try to boost the patient's iron level so quite often we will supplement them with iron even though their iron levels may be kind of in the normal range we try to boost it up a little bit because it can be helpful and then um, you know we tell the patients to avoid doing uh, kind of overly stimulating physically stimulating things uh, especially in the evenings uh, which can make this worse. So when you talk about this, that means um, if somebody experiences it like uh, recently maybe. Mm. So it's not something that you have since you're young. It tends to happen in older people. Mm. Okay, so it's not the usual sleep habits that people have. And when you mentioned the, the iron supplement, the boosting, why was that? Is that safe for people to do it at home by themselves? Uh, once you have uh, seen a doctor and we have made sure that uh, there are no other serious conditions causing this lack of iron. For example, a tumor in the colon that's bleeding. Uh, then yes, iron supplements are easy enough to take at home. Just popping some tablets. All right. Okay. So just to rule out more serious problems. Yes. Right. Before we end, so what what are some of the tips that you can give to people who are having some problems with sleep? Uh, I think the first thing is to make sure that you prioritize your sleep. So try to ensure that you have at least seven to eight hours of time in bed for sleeping every day. And secondly, I think, you know, people tend to have um, very irregular sleeping hours and waking hours. So the normal routine for many working people is, you know, sleep late, wake up early, and then on weekends, they will crash or catch up on their sleep and then, you know, sleep, sleep very late. Uh, but if you do that, then what you're actually doing is giving yourself jet lag every weekend. Then when it's Monday, it's very hard to readjust again. So I think uh, the second thing I would advise people is to try and stick to a regular routine, uh, including on weekends. Third advice, try to get enough light exposure in the morning. Try to aim for at least 30 minutes of uh, sunlight would be best. Uh, because the light is actually very important. It's how our body uh sets our body clock every day 
we have a body clock inside the brain and uh, it's not very accurate. You know, it needs to be set every day. And the, the way our body does that is by light exposure. So melatonin is a natural uh, sleep-promoting substance that our brain produces once it gets dark. So, you know, if you have the morning light exposure, then at night when it's dark, your body will secrete melatonin naturally and then you will be able to sleep much better at night. Thank you for your time, Dr. Leo. My pleasure, Joyce. No problem. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. Don't forget to subscribe to us for free on your favourite smartphone apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Search for Straits Times Health Check, like us and give us a rating. Thank you for listening. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.